Hey, Shravya, what do you think we should call our listeners, or dare I say, fan base? Hmm, we've definitely thought about this. Uh, what about racketeers? Oh, I like it, but I think I have a better one. What if we call them hotties? You know, because hotter is our acronym. Yes, I love it. So all you hotties can support us right now by voting us for best tennis podcast in the Sports Podcast Awards. Stay tuned within the first few minutes of this episode to see how. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Hold On To Your Racket, the podcast for Gen Z tennis fans. We're your hosts, Josefina and Shravya. Shravina is so excited to be creating this podcast and sharing our love for tennis with you all. Josefina and I are two high school gals and tennis fanatics united together by our on-the-court and off-the-court companionship. And we're the female Gen Z voices in modern-day tennis you've been looking for, so we hope you enjoy this episode and stay tuned for more. So, we are back with another episode, and in this episode, actually, now instead of referring to you guys as you guys, we call you hotties, because I think it's basically been officially established that our fan base is called the hotties, so let's, let's make that a thing, guys. Yes. So we have a lot to cover today. Honestly, like more headlines and discussion than like actual tennis talk. But it's all really important discussion. So we do want to get into it. But um, today is March 1st, the first day of Women's History Month. And obviously for us, that's super exciting. That's the whole, you know, whole ordeal of this hot podcast (laughs) um so we kind of decided that this year throughout our episodes this month um in march we're going to be highlighting female figures in tennis or in sport who have had an impact on the industry but who people may not really talk about or know about as much because they're not really brought up in that same um you know conversation like you hear about the original nine or you know other um, female activists within tennis we kind of want to expand that lens and really honor all the other women who have contributed so much to the sport beyond just players yeah like we say on and off the court so um first up in this episode we have mary carrillo who was actually a former professional tennis player from 1977 to 1980, but then she turned to become a tennis journalist, something we are quite familiar with. (laughs) And obviously, in that era, to be a tennis journalist and a female, and such a prominent one, was a big deal. And it still is, honestly. The fact that it still is, is a little bit of a problem. But you know, that's, these are the issues we're addressing this month. Yeah. I mean, when you think of tennis commentary, like, she really is the first person who comes to my mind, and she's sort of established herself as one of the premier voices in tennis journalism, and, you know, it's it's always, like, growing up watching tennis, it was so nice just having, seeing her there always on TV, because, you know, it, it even if you might not, like, consciously register to grow up with people like that, who are, you know, like you, and that, like, seeing another woman in that space, um, even when men are playing on the court, is really important. And she's quite the decorated journalist. I mean, she's worked at CBS Sports, Tennis Channel, ESPN, won two Peabody Awards, which is kind of like the highest level um, honor you can get in the field of electronic media and TV. Um, and those two awards were for her work for 
two documentaries, one of them entitled Billie Jean King, Portrait of a Pioneer, and the other, Dare to Compete, the Struggle of Women in Sport. And as we were saying, she's also gotten a lot of honor for her commentary, um, winning top commentator awards from Tennis Magazine, World Tennis Magazine, and the WTA. So I think she's a great person to kick off our Women's History Month um, honors with. Yes, so definitely something that, you know, we can relate to and her work off court has definitely been super prominent and she is most noted for balancing Brad Gilbert's stupidity. I'm kidding. (laughs) (laughs) But anyways, we have some exciting news actually about us, your other favorite female tennis journalist, um, about the Sports Podcast Awards. So we mentioned this in the intro But um, the inaugural Sports Podcast Awards have shortlisted us for their award category of Best Tennis Podcast, and we need you, hotties, to vote. And, you know, it's really easy, and we would appreciate it. So just head over to sportspodcastawards.com and register so you can vote. It's super easy. We swear. It takes, like, 20 seconds of your day. 20 20 seconds. seconds. Come on, advertise it. Yes, 20 seconds. (laughs) So go to categories and then to best tennis podcast and then vote for Hold On To Your Racket. And voting ends on Sunday, March 6th. So hurry up, guys. And also, if you guys follow us on social media on Twitter or on Instagram, you'll see it in the link in our bio as well. You can find it there. So go do that. Yes, please vote for us. Um, We're really excited. Um, This is just the beginning of this podcast really I mean it's it's in our infancy stage is still kind of even though it's been about a year or so but we're really excited and now with on that note let's just dive into everything we need to cover (laughs) because there has been a lot that's been happening in tennis in the world a lot of the intersecting and we want to take the time to really discuss that because sometimes we just need to take a moment to Yeah, digest. break it down. Yeah. So first up, we have Naomi Osaka being debut- debuting for Fortnite, actually. So we are not experts on video games whatsoever, but what is Fortnite? I honestly probably will not tell you the right thing, but here's what I understand. So the game is, like, being placed into different worlds as different characters, and then you, like, fight battles or try to survive in the game. But it's a video y- game, a very yeah. popular video game. Yeah, that's the point. It's really popular. Apparently, in twenty twenty one, numbers suggested that Fortnite was the most popular video game in the world. So that's our point. Influence, okay? So this week, Naomi Osaka previewed the new skins or characters she has inspired and is preparing for her debut, at their debut at the Naomi Osaka Cup on Wednesday. So that's so cool. They like have a whole like video game like Fortnite tournament. Yeah. Named after her? Like, p- wow. famous people are going to... Or, fa- famous Fortnite people, we, I probably... Gamers. We, Gamers. Yeah. They, they're going to be per- participating. It's going to be a big thing. But you know how... Uh, we've definitely spoken about how Na- Naomi is known to be, like, extremely connected to her lineage on both sides, Haitian and Japanese. And she's actually releasing two skins. And the first one is inspired by Japanese kind of anime culture. And it's a tennis-inspired outfit. And the other is a traditional Haitian dressage kind of, like, traditional clothing. And it's called Dark Priestess. Or that's what it's being described as. It's not really called that. 
But, um, yeah, she's taking a big step. Other athletes have done this, like LeBron James or Neymar Jr. And the graphics she released on Instagram seemed so, so cool. And especially the fact that one of her characters is using, like, a spiked tennis racket and, like, tennis ball bombs to launch his weapons, which... I mean, the graphics are just, like, super colorful and fun to look at, and we cannot call this anything less than the ultimate Gen Z move. Yeah. No, this is super exciting. Also, take note, um, the Fortnite World Cup is a thing. It's a huge tournament, and a few years ago, a few years ago, it actually took place at the USTA Billie Jean King National Tennis Center. They had, like, gamers go into Arthur R. Stadium and, like, play there and it was like a whole thing josephina and i were literally there like during it saw the site get put together we walked past the park a few times um during that time and the security they set up outside was crazy it was a whole ordeal but really some crossover going on between tennis and fortnite and for those of you who don't know like even though josephina and i aren't gamers fortnite is a big thing with our generation yes so this is a really cool move that both Osaka and Fortnite are making um on that same in that same vein of sort of Gen Z and tennis we want to talk a little bit about Carlos Alcaraz um so he won the Rio ATP 500 tournament a couple weeks ago which is a huge feat I mean that's his second title already he's 18 he came into the top 20 and he's the youngest ATP 500 title winner ever since the category was introduced 11 years ago um so no yeah no, 13 years ago. Oh, I did my math wrong. <laughs> um, but kind of right after that, he also came onto the cover of Men's Health Spain, the magazine. And Josephina, how would you describe the photos? They're definitely provocative. It's a, they're, yeah, I mean, like, nothing, like, go ahead. Like, he can, Yeah, know, like, we've we're seen not judging the photos. do this before, but, like, just remember that he's a minor? Yeah, it it, like, it was a lot of like shirtless photos, like focused on his physique and kind of you know, really out there. Like, don't and, get me wrong, it's nice, and we can say that because we are fellow minors. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> like he looked great in them, and he, you know, obviously, like I, I'm sure, like it was a great interview like, too. It's and empowering. I'm sure he, yeah, it is. It's more the issue of like the um, reception it got by a lot of adult tennis fans and tennis media and by reception i mean thirst like the way that people were talking about it considering that they're way older than him really like even like if you're a few years older he's 18 he's like a baby the way that they were talking about it was strange yeah like sexualizing and objectifying minors and like young athletes doesn't matter their gender like and this is honestly, like, this was the weird vibe we were getting during the Emma Raducanu thing, like, mm-hmm. after the U.S. Open, how people were kind of just following her. I don't want to say that it's, I don't want to say that that's the only reason she was successful, A like, lot of the, in the discourse, media. yeah. But I, we definitely discussed this before. <laughs> I yeah. forgot how we worded it, but yeah. it, it makes sense. A lot of the discourse around her from... Yes, focus on her skill level, but inevitably, especially within casual tennis fans, like the people that we're friends with and interact with, and like fringe media outlets that aren't like specifically sporting outlets, like tabloids, for example, focused more on her, like on objectifying her, 
um, I guess with girls is a little bit different. Like in the 21st century, you can't be so explicit about it sometimes. I mean, sometimes you can and people still get away with it. But like it was in a way where like there was a lot of language or undertones of objectifying yeah. her and focusing. Yes, which was uncomfortable. Like so many like and the same can go with obviously it's a little bit of a different perception because he's male and he you know it's focused on his physique and you would think like you know like oh he's a man and this he so, looks so manly like this is fine because it's yeah, celebrating it's his manliness but no he's the 18 way it's being described and mm-hmm. adults are sexualizing him yeah i mean the atp did too so yeah the atp wrote an article and the title was red hot alcaraz heats up cover of men's health like that's who, weird who read that and said it was okay like who okayed this it was definitely someone like in their 20s at the youngest writing that right yeah and yeah just definitely slightly problematic like just yeah you know i don't like gatekeeping it for us minors yeah let's just not objectify young athletes yeah maybe especially if we're not in their age range We have some other big news, um, being that we have a new world number one. So, Daniil Medvedev is the new world number one, and he is the first person, aside from the big four, to reach the ATP number one spot since Andy Roddick 18 years ago. So, the last time there was a new number one was 2016, and it was King Sir Andy Murray. Um, you know, we love that guy. Uh, but yeah, so Daniel is a very accomplished player at this point with 13 titles, four Masters, one Grand Slam, and also uh, the 2020 ATP Finals title. But um, he passed Djokovic, and Djokovic held the spot for a record of 30, 361 total weeks. And so Djokovic lost to Jiri Vaselli in the Dubai quarterfinals. And then Medvedev proceeded to reach the Acapulco final, and that led to the kind of jump ahead. But um, there was definitely a lot going on on that same day, so it was definitely difficult to kind of digest it all at once. But he did it pretty well. Yeah, he. it was definitely bittersweet. Um, it Like, his ascent to the ranking kind of came around at the same time with the... Um, it was the same the, day. Same day of the um, Russian invasion into, or Putin's invasion into Ukraine. Um, and obviously, Daniil is a, is a Russian player, and we're going to talk about this in just a second, but it's, it's a very complicated, obviously, time for any athlete to really, or anyone really, to be speaking out about personal achievements when something else is so big is going on. But he actually had a really, I thought, a, a very well-worded and thoughtful statement. Um, that kind of referenced both those tensions and also that whole thing he was talking about after his loss in the Australian Open final about, like, the kids stop dreaming. So it was interesting to see him talk about that. He said in a post on Instagram, Today I want to speak on behalf of every kid in the world. They all have dreams. Their life is just starting. So many nice experiences to come. First friends, first great emotions. Everything they feel and see is for the first time in their lives. That's why I want to ask for peace in the world, for peace between countries. 
Kids are born with inner trust in the world. They believe so much in everything, in people, in love, in safety and justice, in their chances in life. Let's be together and show them that it's true because every kid shouldn't stop dreaming. So I thought that was really, really poignant, right? Like, to see him, like, understand, like, especially, like, coming from his position as a Russian athlete, having this achievement right now, like, he spoke about it so well. Yeah, and I love how he tied in like what he had said after the Australian Open and kind of it it just all got tied together really nicely for him and honestly I really hope that people don't undermine his achievement as world number one just because of his nationality currently because like as we'll speak about later it's um yeah we'll speak about it later and you'll see what we mean. In fact, later is now, actually. So we're going to talk about the kind of Ukrainian, well, the Ukrainian war and its impact on the sport of tennis. Because as we've said, like tennis, the amount of intersectionality that has like kind of risen, arisen in tennis in recent years is crazy. Like we've seen so many issues come to light. And kind of be amplified by different players, different situations that players have come across on tour. And this is yet another one that we see um, has manifested itself into the tennis world. Yeah, especially because sport is always such a international, international thing. thing. Yeah, so it's inevitably going to bring up these, it, it, these issues are inevitably going to kind of come into sport. And that's both like the great thing about it and also the saddening thing about it because you know it's always gonna come in so we're gonna sort of talk about both specifically within tennis sort of what the reactions have been because tennis is so international it kind of fits um as well as sort of how the larger sporting world including the um international olympic committee has responded and how tennis authorities then responded to that so there's a lot of um, things going on. So let's start with um, how players have spoken out about this issue, both uh, Russian players and Ukrainian players. Um, so perhaps one of the ones that got most social media attention and was so moving was Diana Yastremska and her sister story. So um, you may know Yastremska as a top WTA player from Ukraine. So four days ago, she posted in a heartbreaking post on Instagram about her sort of and her sister having to leave Ukraine it seemed like she had been staying with her parents in Ukraine when the invasion and the war commenced um and then in her captions she wrote after spending two nights in the underground parking my parents made a decision at any cost to send me and my little sister out of Ukraine mom dad we love you very much take care of yourself I love you my country Ukrainians take care of your lives yeah so and then, obviously, she's she's really young. She's only 21, and her sister, even younger. And they I think she's were, 15. Wow. So they were, they fleed. They're essentially refugees. That's literally what they are. And, and then the actual content of that post with that ca- caption showed vid- videos of Diana and her sister saying goodbye to their parents. And it was really, it was a lot to watch. And just the way that it's, kind of affected like how we see I don't know how to explain it like we're seeing this huge 
world issue affecting an individual that is such a huge part of the tennis community and that's what we mean by everything kind of comes together because it's it's affecting everyone essentially and especially this player since she is Ukrainian so Diana is actually currently playing in Lyon and her sister is traveling with her and she's just made the round of 16 actually as a wild card and the tournament gave her and her sister a wild card after news of them fleeing actually and Diana saved match points and the match took over three hours and she actually wore the Ukrainian flag around her shoulders as she stepped out onto the court and after the match took to Instagram with images of that and a caption saying the hardest match of my life for Ukraine glory to Ukraine and the glory to Ukraine was in Ukrainian and that is actually the Ukrainian national salute and it's become a big thing in the media because it's kind of a sign of solidarity for Ukrainians currently but yeah it was just huge from her yeah and like I mean she's a WTA with three WTA player with three titles I mean uh you know I was a high level professional athlete financially speaking in that regard she you know these people are living fairly comfortable lives but then this situation kind of rocked that world and she's now a refugee and obviously I mean it kind of there's plenty of other Ukrainian citizens who are going through similar um, situations and she's just sort of one I guess celebrity example but just to see the impact even hit there um, you know I don't mean to say that it like that you know the impact should only hit a certain type of people but just to see that like how vast the spread of 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 consequences or or um victims is in this situation is really harrowing because you see sort of that it's it's kind of spanned the whole population um and also the whole whole world and all the people who share that heritage um so that was really difficult to see but there was plenty of other I mean she's been really vocal about it um as you said with the flag and her emotions on court and on social media and things like that um and it must be hard I mean you're playing like playing tennis matches while this is going on and she found a way to like grind through that like the emotional roller coaster I can't even imagine um and I mean there's plenty of other players who've also sort of um, been speaking out about this, and I think the next person we won't really want to talk about is Andrei Rublev because he's a, obviously a Russian player, and he has been also very vocal. And you know that vote, that being so vocal, especially coming from that country in the situation, and given the uh, the sort of um, hesitancy for free speech because it's so dangerous to speak out that way, yeah. makes what he said so so brave. Yeah, so after, you might have heard of this actually because it did go viral, after defeating uh, Hubert Hercatch in the semifinal in Dubai, Andre wrote on the camera, quote, no war please. Like, that's it. Just three words. And then he essentially became an international anti-war symbol, like, practically overnight, and even past the tennis world. Like, I've heard people that don't even follow tennis speaking about this. And honestly, this is a great reminder, again, that this is not the Russian people's war. It is the Russian government's war. 
And Rublev even spoke out about like offensive and threatening comments he's received since the invasion simply because he is Russian by nationality. And not in response to that, but in general, in response to the entire situation, he said, in these moments, you realize that my match is not important. It's not about my match, how it affects me. What's happening is much more terrible. You realize how important it is to have peace in the world and to respect each other no matter what, to be united. It's about that. We should take care of our earth and each other. This is the most important thing. And I mean, you can't say more clearly that you're against the war in that case. And I mean, a little bit later when we kind of round up all the players, all the Russian players that have spoken out against the war, we'll speak about how truly dangerous it is actually as a Russian player to speak out so clearly against the war and the fact that his words have gained so much traction everywhere that just makes the situation worse for him and yet he was able to pull through with two titles in six days. So there's some sort of force driving him right now and the mental fortitude it must take to be able to kind of because for him it's a choice to carry this weight on his shoulders of you know becoming kind of a symbol of the anti-war movement and like in contrast for diana she's unfortunately a direct victim of this so she has to she has to exactly it and then I'm not saying, like, either is better or worse. I'm just explaining that, like, these are just different situations and the fact that people are choosing to stand in solidarity with Ukraine, even when they don't have to in the tennis world. It just proves how much heart one has to have. Especially because Russia has such a big presence in tennis. I think that from... We're going to talk about this in just a bit, but I think from what sentiments that people like Marta Kostyuk or Alina Svitolina especially she's been really outspoken um, about this have expressed about like feeling like they they're appreciative of their Russian colleagues sort of also speaking about this because there's a shared understanding of how difficult that is um, to do so Um, but you know we also had um, Rublev winning the I forget, Rotterdam doubles title. No, not Rotterdam. The mm. tournament after, I don't know. Like, recently... It was, like, Do- maybe it was Rotterdam, honestly. It was it either Rotterdam been. or Doha. He won the doubles title with... Um, and his partner was Ukrainian. So he kind of talked about a couple of days after how, you know, it's so difficult because he has, like... It's his friend and it's just... It's just a... You know, it's a hard situation. Um, and underscores what Josefina was saying about how it's really nothing to do with all Russian people. It's really just um, one man's government kind of leading this whole thing. So I think... Oh, it was uh, Marseille. Marseille. Marseille, okay. Yeah, There's so many Marseille. tournaments that have been going <laughs> yeah. on that I lost track. Um, but yeah. Um, as far as other Russian players, like Medvedev and Pavlyuchenko, they've also actually broken their silence and spoken about this. So Medvedev said... Watching the news from home, waking up here in Mexico was not easy. By being a tennis player, I want to promote peace all over the world. We play in so many different countries. It's not. It's just not easy to hear all this news. I'm all for peace. Um, and then Pavlyuchenkova posted on her social media, 
Personal ambitions or political motives cannot justify violence. This takes away the future not only from us, but also from our children. I'm confused and do not know how to help in this situation. I'm just an athlete who plays tennis. I'm not a politician, not a public figure. I have no experience in this. I can openly, publicly disagree with these decisions taken and openly talk about it. Stop the violence, stop the war. I absolutely love what she said. Yeah. She rounded it out, like perfectly because honestly i found it a little funny that she said she's not a public figure when she kind of is actually yeah that yeah that was <laughs> maybe it was a mistranslation or something i don't know but i see like she might say out of being humble honestly yeah yeah that she might not have a huge like yeah, platform yeah but honestly any any like sign of support helps and the fact that especially like we were saying since she is russian is that much more brave to say that and she said it so so clearly like she said it extremely clearly what she believes and also the fact that she said personal ambitions or political motives yes completely that one pointing fingers yeah the fact that this is putin's war mm -hmm. yeah i I also thought that that line was really important and i also want to clarify that like we're not sort of trying to make this issue about tennis I think it's more that we're trying to just like showcase how, you know, how widespread the, the issue is. Yeah, how how widespread it is, and how like as people who really you know love tennis and follow it so closely, seeing how things like these manifest themselves in the sport is also an important way of understanding the conflict, especially when we get to um, things about, uh, you know, what the IOC has recommended and steps being taken. Yeah. And, I mean, especially the fact that, like, obviously this podcast is for tennis fans, and if you haven't really been educated on what's happening right now in Ukraine, this is a good way of, like, getting into it and beginning to care about it, because it's connected to an issue that we're all connected by, you know? So, we just think it's important to discuss it, just like that. So, like we kind of said before, you know... Russian players speaking out, like, clearly against the war is huge. Because, you know, in Russia, media is being highly censored and protesters are being arrested in the case of any public anti-war statements. And, you know, as Russian athletes, these players who have spoken out against the war and Putin's actions have taken an incredibly brave step because, honestly, um... It's a well-known fact that Russia's borders are very strictly kind of protected when it comes to ins- coming in and out. Um, and these players that have <laughs> these players that have clearly spoken out against Putin's actions, they might not be able to return to their homes for some time due to how far the war and violence has escalated already. And it's just it's crazy what they've sacrificed just to in order to support basically human rights as they should but just it's important to remember that they're doing a lot more than it seems like there's a lot going on behind the scenes that's our point and in that it on the on the i don't want to say flip side but like also like the activism from a lot of Ukrainian players is also very admirable um, because, especially on the WTA side, we've seen Svitolina seemingly spearheading this effort, but kind of rallying the likes of Marta Kostyuk, Lesia Serenko, Yastremska, as we said. Yeah, like, 
essentially these players are in mourning and they're choosing to speak out like that's so brave i can't even imagine the courage that it must take because they they really are mourning for their country they're like the future is completely uncertain for them and it's insane that they're choosing to be so strong about it i like we just have complete and total respect for them yeah, I mean, Kostyuk uh, posted on Twitter, our country, Ukraine, is under brutal attack by superior nuclear power. The bombs and rockets are hitting our houses, killing our people, destroying our life. Um, and she then called for the WTA's response and the ITFs, and her debates were also met, and we're going to discuss those soon. And she also wanted to have the WTA condemn the Russian government. And then Elena Sodolina um, as you know, amplified her statement, and she sort of wrote up these list of demands that she posted on her Instagram and Twitter um, that a lot of the fellow Ukrainian players reposted, um, saying, we, Ukrainian players, requested to the ATP, WTA, and ITF to follow the recommendations of the International Olympic Committee to accept Russian or Belarusian nationals only as neutral athletes without displaying any national symbols, colors, flags, or anthems. And Alina was prepared to boycott her, um, uh, you know, playing against Russian or Belarusian players by defaulting her round one match versus Anastasia Potapova um, in the Monterey tournament, who's a Russian player. But we're going to, you know, as the ITF announced today, um, that they're going to sort of meet those demands and most of the IOC recommendations. So Alina agreed to play. Um, so it's, it's, their activism really worked. And as you said, it takes a lot to do that, especially like I can, I can't, I can only imagine. Yeah. So we try to do what we can by kind of bringing these issues to light because it's, it's a matter of humanity, honestly. That's why it's so important that all of these players are getting involved because everyone's involved, like human lives are at stake. That's it. That's that's the basis of it. But um, there's definitely more to this. Like, we've spoken about players' reactions, but now for tennis, kind of tennis government actions. Or, it's not really government, but yeah, essentially it is. Like, the governments of tennis' reactions to um, the war as well. So, for example, the International Olympic Committee and also ITF... And several other sports and organizations that are not necessarily related to tennis have all, well, not all of them, but they have made kind of changes yeah. based on this. Yeah. This is actually really interesting, like, to see directly how it impacts sports. So, basically, this started on Monday, February 28th, when the IOC Executive Board issued recommendations um, surrounding this whole issue, and those recommendations included a few different things. So... They said that international sports federations and sport event organizers should, quote, not invite or allow the participation of Russian and Belarusian athletes and officials in international competition. So that was sort of like their biggest um, claim that was like, wow. Um, Then their second one was to not allow Russian or Belarusian athletes, whether they be individuals or teams, play under the name or flag of those countries and that these athletes, quote, should be accepted only as neutral athletes or neutral teams. 
They also uh, had a, quote, urgent recommendation uh, to not organize any sporting events in Russia or Belarus. And then they also withdrew the Olympic order from Putin, the Russian prime minister and the Russian deputy chief of staff. Um, and at the end of these recommendations, the IOC also affirmed its support for the athletes and other, you know, people in the sporting industry who have spoken out for peace. And then they said, quote, in particular, the calls for peace by Russian athletes. So there's a lot to take in there. And um, to set the stage before we get into how the tennis world responded, we kind of want to put forth the example of soccer, because it's obviously like the biggest team sport in the world. And um, there's definitely, in my opinion, at least, a big distinction to draw between team sports and individual sports in this sense or like team sports that like represent countries versus individual sports Mm -hmm. um or like manifestations of individual sports that aren't connected to team competition um in this context that is kind of going to show you um a really interesting way that tennis kind of differs and offers you know there there's different opinions on sort of this but we kind of want to talk a little bit about how soccer and fifa responded yeah so fifa responded pretty quickly and basically on the same day as the issue like when the issue arised and they suspended all russian national teams and this came after a lot of european backlash particularly from the polish football association saying that uh, fifa's penalties for the russian teams were not enough because they were still allowing them to play naturally and neutrally actually um and essentially um russia was kicked out of the 2022 world cup including the upcoming playoffs and this is huge like that's the world cup that's the largest soccer competition or if you want to call it football in the world and you know russia is known to be very successful in sports and it's definitely sports are a huge part of Putin's nationalist aspirations and image, which are why these bans are being used as geopolitical consequences. Because, yes, it's affecting players who might genuinely want to play, but at the same time, it'll force reflection on Putin's behalf on how much he's truly sacrificing because of his, like Pavlyuchikova said. Um, personal, personal ambitions personal ambitions exactly so yeah. yeah there was a lot of discourse and debate about this ioc statement regarding banning athletes um whether or not it's ineffective if it's unfair if it's unfortunately a necessary measure if it's a mixture of both being unfair but also necessary i think that's really interesting to, to discuss and um you know, the tennis rule didn't do that. They kind of went with all the other recommendations except banning um, the individual athletes except for team competitions like the Davis Cup and Billie Jean King Cup. So I think I, I kind of agree with what you said about, like, yeah, I mean, it, it's 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 awful that the athletes have to face these consequences. But then on the other hand, like, at this point, if something like this is going to help in the short term, is it worth it? I mean, I, especially when it's team competition, like something like the World Cup where it's like you're playing for your like country. The amount of nationalism that comes from soccer, like just in general team sports, but soccer, like yeah. literally there was a war in Mexico started between 
like after a soccer game. Yes, yes, like, yes. It, yeah, it, yeah, yeah. it lasted like three days, but still, like it's a lot. It's yeah, a lot. It's, it is, and I I think that this is a decision that for team country based sports, unfortunately, makes sense. Um, and we kind of want to contrast this with individual manifestations of sports. Um, like with tennis. So, for example, the international governing bodies of tennis, the WTA, ATP, ITF, and Grand Slams, all released a joint statement today which outlined their response. Yeah, so essentially they would be suspending the Moscow WTA and ATP joint tournament in October, and also the ITF would be suspending the Russian Tennis Federation plus belarus tennis federation membership and withdrawing all russian and belarusian players and teams from itf team competition so this would include davis cup the billie jean king cup which um russia is actually the defending champion in both and there are the itf is also going to be canceling all tournaments in russia and belarus so russian and belarusian uh players can continue to play in international events and grand slams but not under their flags so honestly this gives me the same energy as the russian olympic committee because technically they're not playing under the flag but they're playing under yeah 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 yeah. it's just a matter of of the time and it makes sense honestly it's justified yeah yeah, it is justified. They pretty much tennis pretty much followed all of the IOC recommendations except part of the first one, which calls for the banning of Russian and Belarusian athletes altogether. Um, and obviously, because tennis is in that unique position of being an individual sport, so obviously the bans were still in place for this. It's team a solid events. compromise, honestly. Yeah, I am. I was actually really with this. This seemed like a a good way to respond. Um, Svitolina responded in support of this action. She was, you know, said, spoke out on her social media that kind of met her demands, and she's now agreed to play Potapova in her first round match. So it's a very complicated situation. Sport is inevitably going to get involved in it because it is such a big international political factor. Um, and we're seeing it being used as one, too. And um, yeah, it, it's it's difficult, but I think. It's also, we should take the time to, as Sviatek said, actually, after she, she won her title, she was like, I, you know, I hope that, you know, expressed her sympathies and all that, but also, on one hand, she was like, I hope if sport can bring any bit of joy or unity at this time that, you know, we're able to provide that as athletes, which is also a fair point, but at the same time, also appreciating and respecting all that players like Yastrzemska, Svitolina, Kostyuk are doing as well as the likes of Rublev and Pavlyuchekova. Yeah, like throughout history, we've seen that sport is no doubt a microcosm of like international events. And what you brought up about Sviatik is a good point, that sport can also be the thing that brings joy to people in the time that they most need it. All right, so after that very well-rounded discussion, we're going to give you the speediest of speedy recaps of what happened in tennis last week and 
the two WTA 250s going on this week. We don't have any ATP going on this week for the first time in forever. So last week, first off, we had the Doha WTA 1000 event where Ika Swiatek defeated Annette Kondivate 626 Love to take her fourth WTA singles title. And now Iga has two 1000 titles already, her second one being Rome, and has dropped only two games in both of those finals combined. Um, so that's like really impressive. She has an even balance of hardcore titles and clay court titles. And after her win, um, she also voiced her support and sympathies for the people of Ukraine. So that was very nice to see. And as for Annette, this was, I mean, she's been having an amazing season. Nothing to be really torn up about here, really. Um, it was an end to her nine match win streak, but she is doing really well this season. And both of them had ranking jumps to reflect that with Iga going from number eight to number four and Annette going from number nine to number five yeah just the huge jumps that both of them got shows how close it is in the top 10 right now on the WTA side that any success can really propel you forward but either way next up we have the Acapulco tournament the ATP 500 where Rafael Nadal defeated Cameron Norrie 6464 so Rafa took his third title of the year furthering his undefeated record of 15 to 0 now and I mean I can't say anything besides the fact that he has ascended to a new level I'm convinced that this is his year and dare I say Dare I say, does this mean we might be getting, like, at least a return to the top three, you know? Like, at least something. But Oh, definitely. Yeah. But either way, uh, Rafa has matched the Acapulco wins record at four. And Cam Norrie has not been doing badly either. He is the British number one, and he currently hasn't, or had an 8-0 win-loss record before his loss in the final because he took the Delray Beach title last week. However, some other things besides the actual tennis happened at the Acapulco tournament that we believe is important to talk about, and it was Alexander Zverev's disqualification. Yes, so in a match tiebreak in his first-round doubles match, he went on a tirade against the chair umpire after a call... Um, in the late stage of the tiebreak and called him an effing idiot. Um, after the match, he repeatedly and violently was banging his racket against the umpire's chair. And it was really scary to watch. I mean, the umpire literally flinched. You can see it in the video. And also, Zverev's doubles partner, Marcelo Melo, just, like, stood there like it was normal. Did you notice that in the video? Like, he was kind of just, yeah. like... He it didn't do anything. The, cr- the, the crowd was booing and getting really scared as well. So the ATP condemned Zverev's actions and fined him the maximum fine, which is $20,000 for verbal abuse and $20,000 for unsportsmanlike conduct or something like that. They took him out of the, both the singles and doubles draw, stripped him of any points that he would have earned there. And those are the punishments he has so far. It's not really anything for him. I don't think, like, especially with that fine and then... I mean, he, you know, the points or whatever, but the ATP is continuing to investigate this situation and whether or not they should ban Zverev or suspend him. And this is the ATP's second investigation of Alexander Zverev having to surround violence and these really, really um, disgusting actions. So not only does this bring up a conversation about the ways in which tennis players treat umpires, which I think we talked about a little bit last year with like Benoit Pair. Um, 
Even but, this year I mean, with the Daniel Medvedev in the yeah in yeah, the yeah, Australian yeah. Open. Yeah, and I mean, you can't remove the fact, the connection that Zverev is under investigation by the ATP for these domestic violence accusations, and to see him being acting so violent in public, like. I I think you yeah. know it's it's scary. Yeah, for sure. And uh in addition to that, you know, just to cuz we had a lot going on in hot headlines, but we needed to mention this because it is important. So um I believe it was Indian court, right, that found ex-tennis player Leander Pius guilty of domestic abuse and you know Pius was a hero of the sport, especially in India. So to see yet another player be not only accused of this, but actually, um, what's it called? Convic- convicted. Yeah, convicted of it. Why? Why is this? Why is this a thing? I just don't understand. Yeah, yeah. Josephine and I had a long conversation about this. We were like, first of all, what is going on within the ATP that this we keep hearing about this environment? But also, it just kind of the ATP is just like a small sample size of you know, the whole population Mm -hmm. of, like, how prevalent this issue is, especially in the hands of, like, powerful men, too. Like, it's it's really scary um, to keep seeing stuff like this pop up and um, seeing that violence as well with Zverev. Like, it's just a lot of icky stuff that you don't really want to have happen. Like we said, again, sports is always, like, a microcosm of what's happening in the world. Like, we spoke about it with the Ukraine war, Ukrainian war and now this as well it applies everywhere honestly that's why we talk about like a wide variety of issues in a tennis podcast yeah um we also had a couple 250 events last week which one on the WTA side and one on the ATP side so in Guadalajara the same venue as the WTA finals were last year we had Sloane Stephens getting her first title since 2018, defeating Marie Buzkova 7-5-1-6-6-2 for her seventh title, which is really awesome news. I mean, uh, she just got married. I mean, she's. I hope that she's kind of coming back into form a bit. She's looking good um, on the court. She was ranked outside the top 50 at the start of the year, which is kind of hard to imagine because it's Sloane Stephens, like one of the most talented players on the tour. But she's now going to rise up to 39 and hopefully this is just one of, you know, many more successes to come because we're big fans. Yes, we are. And her uh, Instagram for this post was, like, first first title as Mrs. I forgot her last name, her new last yeah, name. Yeah, I, I, I also did. <laughs> but um, either way, like Shravi said, we had another 250, this one an ATP one, in Santiago, where Pedro Martinez defeated Sebastian Baez, the next-gen champion, 4-6-6-4-6-4, for his first-ever ATP title. So good on him, and now he's reached a career high of numero 50 oh my god did you see how i switched to spanish because this is happening in like latin america I'm so wow <laughs> wow oh <laughs> uh, yeah we have some action this week though not a lot of action but we do have some action i mean on court off court there's a lot there's a lot <laughs> Yeah, we have two WTA 250s. One of them is in Lyon, the defending champion being Clara Towson. 
Um, we have a lot of upsets already with Camila Georgie going out um, to home favorite Caroline Garcia. Elise Cornet has been upset. Uh, qualifier Katie Bolter upset Anna Kanya um, in the first round. So a lot of action going on there. Then also we had Diana Yastrzemska, sorry, <laughs> Diana Yastrzemska, um, as we were talking about earlier with her marathon win, um, and you know, like amazing story there. Really rooting for her all the way to even beyond just like winning, just like to be okay. Um, and then as far as our other tournament, we have Monterey. Yeah, so we remember that Layla won here last year, and that was. Yeah, she is our queen. But anyways, some notable players in action include Alina Svitolina, who just destroyed Potapova after not having wanted to play in the first place. But honestly, she's doing more by destroying players and showing like the strength of Ukraine. You know what I mean? Like that national pride. But um, yeah, she just won and she's into the round of 16 now. And Layla... The second seed is already through to round two with a 6-2-6-2 win. So also very solid tennis. And then we have, unfortunately, Madison Keys, the third seed, being upset by Petra Martic in the first round as well. But we do have some other action to be excited for. We have Maria Camila Osorio Serrano, the the fifth seed. And she's already through to round of 16. So we're excited to see more from her because she is our next-gen fave. Thank you so much for joining us, and that is Game, Set, and Match for today. If you like this episode, please let us know and stay tuned for more. We'll be providing you all the coverage of some more tennis and, of course, all the tea on tour. Email us at holdontoyourracket at gmail.com for any questions and leave a rating on whatever platform you're listening on. Hold On To Your Racket is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Follow us on social media at Hold On To Your Racket on Instagram and at H-O-T-Y-R underscore Tennis Pod on Twitter. Our next episode will be released as the spring hardcourt season continues and Indian Wells approaches. And please remember to vote for us for the best tennis podcast. And remember, my name is Josefina. And my name is Shravya. And if you enjoyed this episode, make sure to hold on to your racket until next time. <laughs>